Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Exert Breakthrough Laboratory podcast. I'm your host, Scott Steele here, and I've got a good topic for you guys today. Uh, it's one that uh, we at the team have been looking forward to for a long time, uh, and I think we put it off for a little while, but I think, uh, I think a lot of our users, whether you're new, whether you've been using Exert for years, I think you're going to find a lot of interesting content in this one. Uh, so be sure to stay, uh, stay tuned today. Uh, as usual, I'm joined by Dr. Stephen Chung. Hey, everybody. And by Armando Mastracci. Hey, everyone. How are you guys doing this morning? Well, I'm doing exceptionally well because I finally get to hand off my uh, mantle of most injured, uh, most injured exert team member off to uh, Armando. What are you, what are you all, implying? After all these years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm implying that you have a good war story to tell. Oh, wasted no time getting to that one. No, I, I, it's, this is just this is just research, right? So I, you know, a couple of weeks ago I was doing some 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 trail riding on on my gravel bike, and um, you know I, I introduced myself to some pavement in an abrupt way, and and and. Uh, broke my pelvis. So I've been nursing a broken pelvis now for a couple of weeks. Pretty painful at the beginning, but it's coming along pretty well. Um, but uh, obviously, uh, not much riding or training for a while anyways. Um, and uh, yeah, like I was saying, you know, with guys like uh, Remco, Evan Pohl, and, you know, Garrett Thomas, you know, having the same experience, I figured uh, I would use this as an excuse to do some some research in the area. So we're uh, we're going to conduct a little bit of detraining here and uh, see what happens when we get back on the bike and start to train again. And yeah, we can see uh, how those decay settings. What happens? <laughs> What's that, Scott? He said we can see how those decay settings are working for us. Exactly. Make yeah. Sure so optimized. you know, we uh, we're, we're going to have some other input values into the model here. So. Should be interesting. I'm actually kind of excited in some kind of bizarre way about uh, getting back into it and seeing what happens and how well I can recover. And I went into it with like, you know, four stars of training status. And, you know, it's obviously it's gone brown and I'm, I'm probably going to be down to maybe two or less before I get I can get back on the bike. So it'll be interesting to see how I can come back. Uh, and, uh, you know, does the does the benefit of all this training accelerate my ability to, uh, to recover from this injury? So, so far, so good. You know, I think I've been recovering, I think really well, um, but uh, still too early to know whether I'm ahead of schedule or not, but well, I'm really curious to see where I end up and uh, how well I can recover from, from the injury. So um, yeah, that's one thing. I think our users should appreciate the uh, the depth that we're able to go to test and uh, improve the software. <laughs> the sacrifices we're making, exactly, yeah. Uh, man, I just hope that means that I'm not the next person to break something because I really just don't want that in my life. <laughs> yeah, we're all we're all staring at you, Scott, and I got to take you outdoor uh, rock climbing. I was gonna say no rock climbing, no no cyclocross, no. Uh, no water skiing, <laughs> make it back to Wisconsin next summer. Just, nope, I'm going to live in a plastic bubble for the, for the rest of my life. <laughs> All right. Um, not so bad, uh, you know, Scott. 
like I said, uh, you know, you, you can make the best of it. Yeah, uh, that's great. I'm, I'm glad to hear uh, that the pain is mostly, mostly subsiding and, and hopefully uh, a speedy and full recovery to you. Right. Thank uh, you. Steven, uh, I saw, we're going to talk about it a little bit later today, but it looks like you've been busy uh, writing again for Pez and, and writing again with um, the uh, updated edition of your book. So how's that going? Yeah, we're, uh, as usual, I've managed the toolbox section of, of uh, Pez Cycling News. So that keeps me busy on outside of my work at Brock. And then the other main thing I've been working on is the second edition for my uh, environmental exercise physiology textbook. And I just got the copy edits back. So we've been hammering away at making last last second revisions and updates and stuff and working on the figures and kind of modifying figures as needed. So that's all set for ideally getting the proofs back at the end of November and then off to the printers and next March it'll be out. And so I've been, I'll be honest at first, I didn't really want to uh, do a second edition, but having done it, I'm really happy with how it's turned out. I think there's a lot of lot of uh, great updates in it. Every chapter has been essentially overhauled from the ground up. There's been no sacred cows. And in addition, there's been five new chapters on stuff that hasn't even, wasn't even in the field uh, 10 years ago when the f- book first, the first edition first came out. So it's been, been a real fun experience actually in the end. And a lot of new figures too. Yeah, a lot of new figures. We had 50 in the first edition, and now in this one, we have 100. And I think I've only kept about 15 of the originals. So it's been fun preparing a lot of uh, graphics, too, and kind of getting my art hat uh, planted on, I guess, my fancy beret to uh, to -hmm. do some of these graphics and artwork. That's good. It's uh, having been a student for so many years, it's nice to see that uh, so much work is going into a new revision uh of a of a book a lot of times it's they're very minor changes but it does sound like quite a quite an overhaul yeah it is again there's been no sacred cows but it 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 has been rewarding in terms of both the original book has really stood the test of time and i've even gotten feedback you know on twitter talking about the new book coming out there's been kind of relatively early career researchers that have given me feedback that, hey, you know, it was really seeing my first edition that made them passionate about environmental physiology. And now they're, you know, PhDs in the field and early career researchers. So it's been nice to have that kind of legacy and pass that on and kind of inspire other people. So that's definitely made it worthwhile. That's awesome. Um, all right. Um, well, I want to get I want to keep us moving today, uh, just because I'm anxious and excited to to get into our topic for today. And uh, I think I'm just going to warn everybody in advance. I think that this topic is a little bit abstract. Today, we're going to be talking about focus, and and that's perhaps one of the most misunderstood metrics that that exert provides. Uh, but at the same time, it's also, it, it's at the very core of, of what EXERT is doing. It's, uh, we use it to analyze some of your uh, activities, whether or not they were workouts or, or races. Um, we use that when we're creating workouts and, uh, and helping 
move you from whatever today's date is towards your target event date. So it's really a core feature of the system yet. It's something a lot of times that I see questions on the forum and on our Facebook page and, and trying to make sense of it. And so um, we're going to do our very best today to, to sit down with you and, and help work through uh, what that focus duration number means. What, what, what is it telling me? Uh, how do we get that number? We'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. And, um, and uh, I, I think if you come into this with an open mind and, and you're ready for, uh, re ready for some uh, explanations from Armando, who is our, uh, our mathematician in-house, <laughs> I think, uh, I think you're going to get a lot out of this podcast. And where I wanted to start with this before we get really into focus is I think we can find common ground with a lot of our listeners who may be more familiar with using a zone system. And, uh, and, and so these zones were developed uh, over years and years of, of research and, and exercise physiology, uh, both, uh, both lab-based and field-based. Uh, exercise physiology studies that wanted to start looking into uh, kind of the physiological adaptations to training. And uh, one way that they did this was to uh, first figure out some marker. You need, you need percentages of something. Uh, and so what they ended up using was uh, your, your power at lactic threshold. Uh, and the, the one disadvantage with this is that it, it actually does require rather invasive uh, and extensive testing. So you've got to come into a lab, they're going to they're draw blood and test it for lactate. And uh, there's a very specific protocol to be used. So it can be rather difficult to derive that value. And so uh, what you'll see a lot of people using now is, is going to be their, their functional threshold power, their FTP. And so that's essentially going to be the anchor upon which all of these different zones are going to be based. And uh, and so the idea behind these zones is they wanted to create these like distinct buckets, if you could think of it that way, where you might expect to see certain types of physiological adaptations. And, uh, and so one example of that is if you want to see your, uh, or if you were going to see somebody working on their, their peak power sprints, you might expect them to do what's called neuromuscular work or zone, zone seven work, uh, where you're, you're very short efforts, very high intensity. And uh, over the years, people uh, in research uh, discovered, okay, if you want to work on your peak power, you need to be working in this neuromuscular zone. It's very intuitive. Uh, but the idea behind these zones is you start to take this continuum uh, that is exercise. The human body is very much so uh, kind of this this wide spectrum, and these power zones were meant to start dividing up that spectrum into uh, where we might see uh, increases in, in in endurance, increases in in like top end power, uh, and so that's where a lot of uh, these zones were originally developed, and and they were very much so meant to be uh, descriptive. So after you've completed a ride. Uh, what you can do is you look at all the power that you've performed over that activity and you can start to bin it up into all of these uh, separate zones. And that's really come out in, in uh, the literature originally before power meters became really popular and prevalent in the pro peloton. The early work was in terms of trying to quantify how hard a race is, whether it's a single 
one day classic or a stage race is to look at the heart rate distribution and, and break that up into, again, whether it's three zones, five zones or more, and just to really get an idea of how much time a rider has spent at different intensities. So ultimately, all of these different zones are really just trying to describe, on the one hand, how much work has been done, kind of whether it's at an event or to flip that around from being descriptive to prescriptive that we're going to talk about is, is then they take that and say, okay, if you want to, you know, ride the Giro d'Italia, for example, this is the distribution of, of intensity and therefore you might want to train at those. So then it became different whether it's heart rate zones or now power zones. So that's where the zones kind of idea really came about to, to get at the intensity of an event and, and to ideally base our training around that. Yeah. And I think something that, that you had briefly alluded to there is that there's really no one way to do this. I think research has found several different methods that work, uh, a lot of, I, I'm familiar with, with the seven power zone model. Um, there are other models that, that use, or not models, but there's other systems that use a five zone system. Um, and yeah, a lot of the research that we see uh, by Dr. Seiler is actually just, he narrows it down into, in, just into three zones, uh, kind of below that, that lactic threshold um, and, and, and all of that high intensity work. Uh, in zone three and trying to avoid that work in, in the middle, uh, that zone two work. And so uh, w- one of the things to keep in mind with these zones is that they are um, kind of, they're relative and, and there are multiple of these. Um, the, with, when you're talking about the seven power zones, uh, I did want to just briefly cover uh, what they are and kind of the general intensities that we would expect to see uh, for them. And so uh, the, the lowest intensity one, uh, which I jokingly call the noodle, uh, is, is the first zone is that active recovery. And that's usually less than 55% or so of, of FTP. Um, as soon as you start increasing the intensity a little bit, that's where you're going to get into your, your long, slow distance, your LSD training. Uh, that's typically anywhere from, from 56 up to about 75% of FTP. Uh, and if we keep increasing the intensity, a lot of uh, the group rides or uh, like spirited group rides or um, uh, just outdoor training in general tends to be in the tempo range, uh, which is that 76% to 90%. Uh, tempo is in terms of exert, I think a lot of exerters would find that tempo is somewhere in between uh, their LTP and, and their threshold and, or right around their LTP uh, up to just under threshold. Um, and so uh, when Exert is prescribing a lot of intervals that are gonna be below LTP, I would expect that to convert into roughly the endurance uh, power zone. Uh, moving on uh, to the, the fourth power zone, you've got your threshold intervals. These are very classic, uh, anywhere from about 91% up to about 95% of threshold. You'll see uh, these are often done kind of in longer blocks. You'll see um, two by 20s, three by 10s, generally longer intervals that that you feel 
uh, by the end of them, you're going to feel pretty drained, uh, even if you might only see MPA come down 100 or 200 watts at the end of those efforts. Uh, kind of multiple of those are going to leave you uh, rather, rather tired. Um, moving up into our, into our zone five, uh, this is where you'll start to see some of the zones begin to widen uh, on a percentage basis. And, and so VO, the VO2 max zone is, is typically anywhere 106 up to about 120% uh, of FTP. Uh, and these are going to be, um, I mean, these are going to be pretty draining. VO2 max intervals are, are not fun. I know I made, I made uh, Stephen go through several of these VO2 max efforts uh, in my research study. And, and so I'm sure he can attest that, uh, that these aren't very, very fun. Uh, the coming up to the last two zones, uh, they're very close. Anaerobic capacity is typically reported as anything above 121%. Uh, and that's really, that's probably your, your three minute power all the way up to about your 30 second power, uh, somewhere in that range. Uh, but they're, they're meant to be very short, uh, getting close to your top end power. Uh, which is actually your, your zone seven, the neuromuscular power is essentially uh, inexerted would essentially be your peak power. It's where you're working just a couple of seconds uh, as, as all out as you possibly can. It's the, the very most power that you could possibly generate. And, and so these are the seven zones that have been used by, by many cyclists for a lot of years now. Uh, and, and there's a, a lot of benefit to using these zones. A lot of people will track, um, they, they'll track their total training distribution. And, and so there's been um, work going into looking at, okay, what if we, what if we stagger my training so that, it's, um, so that it's polarized? Like a lot of the work that Dr. Seiler does looks into polarized training. You want to spend a lot of time either at very low intensities or very high intensities. Um, there's the threshold model where you spend a, a lot of time at or around threshold. And so these power zones, it, when you're looking at kind of weeks or months of data, they can be uh, somewhat insightful to see the type of training that you've been doing and whether or not that's focused on kind of focused on your threshold or if that's focused on low intensity with a little bit of high intensity. Uh, so there's definitely some use that can come out of these power zones. Uh, but I think what we're going to talk about today is that um, just seeing how much time you've spent in each of these zones might not intuitively be make sense to a lot of people, or, or you might not know how to interpret it. And so if you can think all the way back to uh, episode 11 of our podcast, where we were talking about measuring your training load, and, and one of the things that we had discussed is we used to use time, how much are you training? Oh, I trained seven hours last week and how we've kind of moved on. And now we have this measure of XSS. It's very similar to, to these power zones where in historically we've tracked, okay, how much time have I spent in these zones? And it might not, it might not tell us a whole lot about our training. It can be helpful to, to kind of look at it, but it doesn't necessarily um, fully uh, analyze or, or really tell us the information that we need to do need to know. And so what we can do moving forward, instead of looking at how much time we're spending at our zones, we can actually start to look at uh, what exert uh, comes across with uh, as focus. Uh, now, there were a couple other considerations that, that I did want to bring up. Uh, and I think one of them actually 
relates to the article that, uh, that Dr. Chung wrote uh, earlier this week. Yeah, well, to reflect on that, one issue is certainly kind of, uh, we've always say in exert that order of workouts and order of intervals matters. But the bigger issue is that the percentages that Scott laid out is of the seven different zones in this case is really, really generic. And it's, it's first it's anchored towards a, a your threshold power and really only one parameter and also it is assuming that you know if you ride at 90 to 105 percent for everybody uh it is giving you the same same uh kind of strain and same effort and that's just not true because everybody is an individual and that was really the basis for my article uh, this past week in Pez, which talks about a, a study from a group in, at the University of Ghent in Belgium and also collaborating with Australians where they looked at the, the muscle fiber typing of world-class cyclists in a variety of disciplines. And they did this non-invasively, won't really go into the technique of it, but the matter is that they took world-class cyclists and these included Olympic medalists, um, you know, world championship medalists, and also, uh, you know, world tour riders who have been in the top hundred percent, hundred, uh, of the UCI rankings, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So really, really elite cyclists. And they found, you know, not surprisingly that even within your definition of a world-class cyclist, there is a huge difference across the different disciplines. The most fast twitch fibers was actually surprisingly not in track sprinters, was actually in BMX riders. And these are guys that are hitting 2000 watts off the start ramp for those first four seconds. It's an astronomical amount of wattage um, to start off with. And then you also have quite a variety of difference between track sprinters versus track endurance riders. So the pure, pure track sprinters versus the points race type of rider. And then also with, um, with road kind of stage race specialist versus more all around specialists versus more road sprinters. The main point of the paper is that within these these elite performers of a single sport there is still a wide range of muscle fiber typing and that these are all individuals and to extrapolate from that it really gets to the heart of what exert is all about being very individual and so rather than looking at again saying to everybody regardless of their their muscle fiber composition in terms of their own background, uh, saying everybody to train your threshold ride at 90 to 105% of your threshold power, you know, exert is able to drill down to become much more individual. And just to follow up, uh, I didn't write about in those articles, I will in a future article on PEZ is that same group then looked at the response of different athletes with different muscle fiber typing and the response in, in their recovery from high intensity interval training and also to a, 
periodized approach to really uh, having a huge increase in training volume. And they showed that based on your muscle fiber typology, you have different responses in terms of your rate of recovery from this high intensity interval training and also to an overload in your training. So again, the, one of the big challenges with these zones and especially anchoring to only one single parameter of threshold power is that it really is a generic uh, population and assuming that everybody responds the same, but that's just not the case. And what exert is able to do is really individualized. So, you know, just to take it in terms of zones, we'll talk about how it transfers the focus with Armando in a bit, but just in terms of zones, again, rather than 90 to 105% for threshold training for Scott, you know, he might be better at 80 to you know 95% and get the same benefits. Whereas for me, it might be 92% to 108%, that idea. So, so again, the key thing is that we want to be able to take it to a much more individual level. I, I think uh, part, of, part of the ambiguity about these zones is also what's, what has made coaches such an important tool for athletes is because coaches understand that the, zones, the zone percentages aren't going to be equal for every athlete. And so uh, when they're looking at their athletes, they might have two athletes that are going to do the same session. And, and that coach knows that, okay, this athlete's maybe a little bit more fast twitch. Uh, we're going to need to increase the intensity a little bit more for, for them. And this athlete is a little bit more aerobics. We're going to need to decrease the intensity of the intervals just a little bit to try and provide the same, the, the same workout benefit to both of them. And I think that's uh, the, a coach that's able to, to recognize that. I think that's what makes them so important. But I think having having exert can can help those coaches out even more so in identifying the and, and kind of um, uh, yeah really identifying the signature of those athletes and really prescribing workouts that are going to be equally beneficial for them with with more with more specificity than than simply using those percentages of FTP and so that's why like in our workout designer you'll find intervals that are based on your mean max power and intervals that are based on your, uh, on a certain strain rate. Um, and so the, the main point of that is that, uh, with, with exert, we can even go so far as to help coaches really narrow down on these differences between athletes and, and really help, uh, increase the, the, the specificity of workouts that they're giving to athletes. Uh, yeah. And the other thing that is uh, limited by just measuring time and intensity or time in different zones at different intensities is that, you know, you have no idea whether the efforts were done under fatigue or not. And I said earlier, and, and we've said it multiple times that the order matters. It is much harder to do a, an interval at the same wattage when you are under fatigue after you've already you know, gone up a hard hill and then you're asked to do the same, same um, interval, it creates a different strain on you as opposed to when you're doing it in a completely fresh state. So that's another challenge with just looking at time in zones is that it doesn't tell you in what order you have done them in and therefore how much strain you are actually truly eliciting with that workout or that race. And I, I think that goes back 
to one of the very first blogs that was published uh, years ago now, I think. Uh, it's one of the, the first articles that really got me interested into, into the system in the first place. And uh, we've harped on it so many times, but the order in which you do work matters. And it's something that won't be picked up uh, by time and zones. And, and so the example actually from that blog post was if, if we have this athlete that's going to do, uh, they're going to do three, three sets of uh, four minutes, uh, uh, sorry, 10 minutes of zone four, followed by four minutes of zone five, uh, we could have them do it that way, give them a three minute rest between sets and have them do it three times. We could have that same athlete maybe a week later, they're gonna do the, 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 the same distribution. So they're still gonna do the same amount of zone one, zone four and zone five work. But if we actually flip those two intervals, so we have them now do uh, a four minute effort in zone five, followed by a 10 minute effort in zone four, what we're gonna find is that they, they performed the same amount of work. The distribution of, of time in zones is exactly the same, but what you'll see in exert is that the, the XSS is gonna be different, the difficulty rating is gonna be different, the focus duration is gonna be different, uh, and it's something that, that we're gonna be able to pick up with focus because we're, not only are we identifying the actual work that's being done, you did whatever, 300 watts, but in that moment, at that second, we know you did 300 watts when your MPA was 1,000 watts, or you did 300 watts when your MPA was, was 600 watts. And, and so we can actually tell kind of how close the work that you were doing was to your maximum, uh, which, which also will feed into uh, how we're going to determine uh, this, this focus duration. And, and so I wanted to transition a little bit. Uh, I know we've, we've kept Armando pretty quiet mm -hmm. so far. Uh, during this podcast so far, but I did want to start uh, tying in um, the, this idea of tracking time and zones into, into kind of exerts measure of focus. So, you know, you, you, the blog post you're, you talk about, you know, we call it the paradigm shift, right? From moving from zones to focus. Um, we, and I didn't intend to create a paradigm shift. You know, I was just trying to make sense of what, what we saw in the data. And intuitively, you know, I knew, I think everyone who ever wrote, you know, ridden a bike in, a, in competition or ridden in a group ride recognizes that people are different, right? And that there's some people that can sprint, there's some people that can climb, there's some people that have big aerobic engines. And, you know, we ride with these people and we all recognize they're all in, they're all, all their individual differences. So I kind of knew intuitively that, you know, we had a fitness signature and that that kind of represented the kind of the individual differences uh, between athletes. And that sometimes, and whether that translates into, you know, more fast twitch, fast twitch fibers or more slow twitch fibers, just the way Stephen was describing, you know, there are different disciplines and different, different physiology makes people uh, more, more uh, effective in these different disciplines. So we, you know, kind of intuitively understood that. And so um, we we're like, well, how do we apply this? Right? We kind of know that the signature describes this to some degree, but so how do we, you know, how do we identify and understand it? And so we thought, well, you know, we could, we could certainly look at what, how those different systems contribute um, to the performance of, of, of a given power output. 
Um, but you know, we, it was, it was really, um, kind of backed into this idea of, of how, how zones, how we could sort of mimic what zones are trying to do and maybe improve upon it. So to give an example, you know, you may look at an athlete that has, let's say a threshold of 300 Watts and you say, okay, 120%, you know, it's upper end of zone five, 360 Watts. Well, we know that for some, some athletes, you know, 360 Watts is, you know, they've got big aerobic engines, uh, um, but they may not be able to hold 360 Watts very long because they don't have a lot of anaerobic capacity, a lot of kind of upper end power to kind of hold it. Whereas other people um, might go out of the different way. They have a lot of, a lot, lots of power maybe, um, and, you know, can, can hold 360 Watts for a lot longer than another athlete. So, so how do we characterize that? Um, you know, you, and how do we identify kind of on an individual basis what that would mean? So, so you can look at 360 and say, okay, what's, if that's their focus, well, what, what, that, what does that translate into duration for a given athlete? So that's where this focus duration comes from. It says, we look at a given power output and we say, what does that translate into their ability? How long can they sustain that? So that's what focus duration essentially means is they give a power output and then assign a particular duration. So 360, for example, might be somebody's four minute power as, as an example. And then if you look at, let's say 600 Watts, maybe that could be an, an athlete's two minute power. So what that translates for us is if you start to use, rather than use the discrete power values and look at how, we, how do we modify the, the various percentages to describe the individual differences, we thought we could normalize the process essentially by using the actual duration itself. So that two individuals that may have the same threshold, but very different kind of muscle fiber makeup and different signatures in the end, could both be training, uh, let's say two minute power and have different contributions from these other systems in the performance of that two minute power. But when we prescribe the training and we describe the training, we can still just use two minute power and know that, that we're effectively training the athlete in the same way individually for them. So that was what we thought we could achieve by going through this effort of identifying the power, looking up that power in the power duration curve, identifying as a duration, and then using that to prescribe training. So, right, so that, uh, that was really the, the kind of the, the initial leap that we made moving from zones into this focus duration concept. And, and so one of the things, uh, that's a good explanation. I just want to make sure that everybody's still on the same page with us. And so uh, one of the questions that we often see, uh, see in support and see on the forums is, um, like, oh, I just, I just finished a four-hour ride. I had a focus duration of, of six minutes. Kind of what, what does that mean? It, it doesn't necessarily mean that you, that you were riding at that six-minute focus or that six-minute power, correct? Yeah, so, you know, that's, that's right. And I think, um, you know, part of this is to go through and understand. So if you're looking at, let's say, four-minute power, let's say, you know, let's say you're looking at uh, two minute power. So let's say you're looking at 600 Watts, 
500 watts, let's just say, and that's your two-minute power. Well, that two-minute power in the exert model, because we have a signature, right, and we know that threshold really represents kind of what you can do, you know, at your threshold power, and then as soon as you work above it, you're starting to use these other systems, your high-intensity energy and your peak power system. What we've been able to do with the math behind exert that identifies MPA and identifies strain is to say, at a given intensity, you have three systems that are helping you produce that power. So we're saying at 500 watts, for example, we have a certain contribution from your peak power system, another from your high intensity energy system, and another from your low intensity system. We, we call that kind of strain allocation or work allocation. Ultimately, what it means is that at a given power output, we can identify which systems are involved in the production of that power for that individual. So going back to what Stephen was describing earlier, you may have an aerobic athlete, doesn't have a lot of capacity, and if they're doing 500 watts, they may, have a, they may be using much more of their peak power system, but that's rather than the, um, uh, you know, the, the BMX athlete, that might be using a far less quantity of their peak power system because they're at 2000 watts. They don't need to use that. They're using these other systems. Whereas the other athlete might have that value closer to their peak power. So that's the kind of thing, the calculations that Exert is doing for you under the covers is identifying what those percentages are, what the contributions are of those three different systems at an, any given power output. So that's the sort of the next step in that process is say, what's that focus duration? What's the relative contribution of the three systems associated with that? So just to clarify then, again, one of what, what the focus means, again, given that example of, you know, did a four hour ride and it says six minute focus, it doesn't mean you were necessarily averaging your power output wasn't averaging at kind of your six minute power throughout right so that's that's popular or kind of a common misconception of what focus duration is but that's not what it's saying it is saying your overall ride for that work the work allocation ratio was similar to if you were at your six minute power am i correct in that or can you just clarify that conception yeah and so so that's really when you start to look at you know a given power output and the allocation of the work, which systems are involved, but you start to add those up over the course of a workout or a ride, then you say, how do we, uh, how do we interpret this? So we could do the same thing and say, okay, you spent this much time or th this much work with this system and this much work with that system. It's kind of like zones and say, you know, here's much time and zone we spent, but it, you know, we intuitively understand that if, if, if you're looking at the zone system and you go for a ride and you spend all this time in zone two, and then you spend a whole bunch of time in zone six, that somehow some, one of, some zone in between is really what over, what's, what's gonna get the overall benefit, right? It's something in between zone two and zone six. Now, how, how much of it, what kind of impact it's gonna have that's not easily quantifiable. So you're kind of managing these things in discrete zones. So, it's, so you look at a zone distribution chart of, an, of a ride and you go, wow, that's really cool, but it's really hard to apply 
and and how do I use this? What what does it mean when I you know, I spent all this time in zone three and zone five? It was in a riot. It's hard to so you end up getting help trying to interpret all this information. So what we've done is to say, okay, well let's add up all the strain associated with a ride and allocate it in these three different systems, and then say if we add them all up together, what does that look like in relation to an equivalent power in your power duration curve? And then we convert that to a power duration or sort of focus duration. So to give you an example, right? So if you got, if you go out and spend, you know, uh, you know, a couple hours riding at a hundred Watts and then in between you're doing, you know, 500 Watt efforts to failure, you know, for a couple of minutes, and then you go back to riding at hundred Watts for another hour or two, you may say, okay, most of my ride was just a zone one ride or zone two ride, right? I spent most of my time, you know, in the zone, in these lower zones and very little time in these upper zones. Um, and that's fine. And then you may say, well, what, what power, what benefit am I going to get? You know, it'd be somewhere in the middle. You're somehow you benefited some power less than 500 Watts, but higher than 100, right? So, so that's where the focus duration is going to come. It's going to say, okay, how much work was performed uh, how much strain did you accumulate in which zones, or sorry, in, 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 in which systems, and then interpret that and say, oh, okay, so that would be, you know, focus duration of, let's say, 320 watts. So overall, that effort would have a particular uh, focus of 320 and maybe a focus duration of whatever, you know, 10-minute power as an example. So that's what the system is kind of doing for you. It's kind of interpreting all that stuff and then giving you an understanding of what the overall training benefit is. So I have uh, two points that I would like to bring up here. Um, the, the first is that this focus duration, this isn't based on any sort of an average power. There's, there's no averaging, no, none of that. All of this is determined second by second Every, every second that you're pedaling, this, this value is being calculated for you. We know every power output, we know what the contribution is from peak power. You know what the contribution from high intensity energy is. We know what the contribution from threshold is. And so what we're actually doing is we're kind of accumulating all of those, uh, the, all of those uh, distributions second by second, and then looking at kind of the total summation of those. And so... Once again, I'm just going to stress it again because uh, I don't I don't think it hurts uh, to overly stress this. But the focus duration, it it we we show it as a time, but it's actually if you can think about it this way, it's an intensity. You can kind of think about it as the intensity of a ride. And so this gets to my second point, um, which is um, I I I think this uh, will probably add on to more that Armando would like to talk about, but there's going to be almost infinite ways to land at a specific focus duration. And so uh, what I mean by that is if I want a ride uh, with a focus of five minutes, there are almost infinitely many ways that I could end up with a focus duration of five minutes. I could, uh, similar to, to what Armando, uh, the example that Armando had just given is I could noodle for a hundred Watts, uh, do some hard two, three minute efforts uh, to bring that focus duration uh, lower and lower. And then as I go back to 100 watts, the focus duration will 
kind of go, go back up. And so you can, you could arrive at a, at a five minute focus that way. I could also arrive at a five minute focus by, uh, by doing five minute intervals to failure. If I ride at my five minute power for five minutes, um, it's going to be pretty close to it, to a five minute focus. I'm riding right near that focus duration. Yeah. And so, uh, what, what I was hoping Armando could maybe shed some light on here is, is, uh, now we have the focus duration, but, uh, what, what else do we need to, to kind of understand that, that focus duration? Right. That's, you know, absolutely. Because, you know, there's, there are an infinite ways you could re uh, achieve a particular focus, right. Within a, within a, um, within a ride or an activity. And, you know, you can talk about focus duration, but it's also, you know, focus power. So it's, they're one in the same, same thing. Focus duration just helps normalize it across different athletes. But, you know, so let's say, you were working at 100 watts or 200 watts, let's say, and then you did a bunch of hard efforts. And then, you know, your focus duration was, you know, five minute power. And that turns out to be whatever, 350 watts or so. So, so your focus, so what you improved was your 350 watts power. That's where you place the overall strain of that effort on. Okay, so that, that's one way to look at it, to say, okay, that ride focused on my 350 watt power. What specificity rating helps you understand is the variability of that power around the 350. So if all you did was 350 watt efforts, nothing more, right? Then that was efforts are what's called pure specificity rating. And, you know, that's all you did, 350 watts, right? Um, and if, on the other hand, if you kind of rode easy and then did harder efforts and the range of efforts was really broad, then you may end up with the same focus of 350, but they were done with a highly variable power. That would mean that the specificity rating would be polar. So if you just think of it polar, not a, not kind of like training polarity, it's more polar because you're using low and high at the same time, right? You kind of moved all the efforts farther and farther away from each other. So you can still gain the same training benefit in the end, but the specificity rating really highlights the depth at which you went into training that focus duration. So if you- So for the- so for the stats geeks out there, it's the specificity is kind of like your uh, the standard deviation, right? You have the same mean overall of um, that's your right. focus duration, and the specificity is really how much variability is there in that in your distribution of power and effort throughout that. So again, the idea is like it's your standard deviation. Right. Exactly. You know, it's interesting, you know, I think in different disciplines, they, they, they use this concept of focus in, in, a, in kind of unique ways. You know, ultra short race pace training is really about focusing on the intensity that you're going to be racing at and train at that intensity as much as possible. So for, for things like swimming, for example, is very different than, than cycling. Cycling has a lot of variable efforts. So, you know, although you may train at a particular intensity, you're not riding only, that, only at that one intensity. You're riding at different intensities. So you may ultimately 
combine all those efforts to kind of race at a particular focus duration. And that you'll see is very true. So if you're looking at uh, road racing, for example, the focus duration is generally around five or six minutes, right? It's kind of your VO2 max power, interestingly, right? That's the, that's the ideal combination of peak power, uh, high intensity energy, low intensity energy is gonna make you most, success, most successful in road racing. You know, going back to your article, very similar in that sense so that that power range is really what's going to be most effective for, for the road cyclist. Whereas for a, a track cyclist or a road sprinter, those focus durations are going to start to decrease. You're going to get higher power focus, right? But with, 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 with cycling, though, it's, it's, it's not just focused in, it's not a very narrow focus because you're going to have to perform at all, you know, intensities around that. So if you recall that chart that, that, uh, that Stephen posted with that article, it wasn't just a single intensity, it was a kind of a range. And that some, uh, some dif disciplines had kind of a wider range, which indicates that the specificity rating would be lower for those. Whereas if it's all really focused on a particular narrow range, then that would have a much higher specificity rating. So, so that's what the specificity rating does is it tells you how, how variable is the effort going to be around that particular focus power that you have with, with the, uh, the racing and the training that you're doing. Yeah, and I think, uh, I think having this measure of specificity rating, once again, thinking about, uh, about coaches can be rather important uh, because uh, not only is it important that they're getting their their proper uh, the, the proper focus duration, like I said, there's there's infinitely many ways to arrive at a certain um, at a certain power duration. But coaches, are kind of armed with this information, now can have have a better idea of of what an athlete needs to do to achieve kind of that that pure specificity. If they want to spend as much time working on their five minute power, they're going to want they're going to want a pure specificity around five minutes. And so uh, being able to have a measure of, of kind of how tight they're working can also be beneficial as well um, versus simply arriving at that, that five minute power uh, by noodling and then doing some sprinting like we had described before. Um, that, that won't necessarily result in a pure specificity uh, that you would get by simply doing those, those straight intervals at, at a certain intensity. And a classic example is cyclocross, right? It is compare that to a, to a time trialist for 40K time trial. So also roughly an hour of effort for both races. But the, even if the focus duration might be similar for those two, the specificities can be night and day difference because the whole point of a time trial is try to have pretty minimal variation in, in your power output. You're trying to, peg it at your threshold for the entire hour of effort. Whereas with the, with the cyclocross, it's, it's either zero or it's all out and you still might end up with an average wattage and even a focus duration, very similar, but how you get there is night and day difference. So the training also needs to be very, very different for those two. And I know just from personally, where 
where and when I do the worst in a cross race is when I try to ride it like a time trial, when I have that mental focus of, I just want to keep it steady where I do the best is when I really, in a sense, attack the course of sprint out of every corner, like a bat out of hell. And, and uh, you know, in between trying to find that points of recovery and not ride it like a time trial. Yeah. You, you're very, very famous for your uh, attack and hold on uh, uh, <laughs> workouts. Uh, what was that? How much XSS did you have in, in 20 yeah. minutes? Yeah, yesterday I had, after class I had a I had an hour and a half before sunset, so I I rushed out and did my kind of twenty minute effort of over unders uh, with mashups, and my previous record was getting ninety seven XSS in those twenty minutes, and and I broke it this time. I got to a hundred and four XSS in in uh, twenty minutes of this effort where I was riding at you know around my ltp or actually higher than my ltp it was at about 200 watts or so on average during the recovery and then every minute minute and a half going all out for 30 seconds at about 350 watt average and yeah that that was uh ridiculous even i was kind of uh admiring (laughs) the difficulty uh score after that uh now there was one the, uh, there was one thing that point. I want to talk a little bit about, though, was, you know, we get a lot of questions about, you know, how do you focus on a particular focus duration? You know, you'll see the rec- the uh, the adaptive training advisor giving you advice says, OK, focus is, you know, ruler and it's your six minute power and it's, you know, 300 watts or what have you. And you're like, OK, so what does that mean? So. So one of the things you can do when you're writing, I know you did a, we did a video on this, right, Scott, on, uh, on kind of how to hit your particular focus, focus duration or focus power. So one of the things that, you know, in light of what we were just describing, kind of the specificity. So if you think about how you can hit your target focus duration, if your focus duration is six minute power and, you know, you, you've just been smashing it up the hills, and you're, you're currently at a focus duration of, let's say, three minutes. Well, how do you lengthen a focus duration? So you lengthen a focus duration by adding more low-intensity strain. So if I've got a whole bunch of strain already accumulated, but I want, my, I want the overall training to be at a longer duration, then you do efforts below threshold you try and accumulate as much strain below threshold. Because if you think about it, if you're improving your three minute power, but you really want to improve your six minute power, well, you need to improve your threshold to do that, right? Because your threshold is going to help you raise your, your, your six minute power. So you end up doing long intervals just below threshold. And if you do those, then you'll, you'll see your focus duration go from three minute power to six minute power. That's how that's done. And inversely, it's the opposite. If you know that, you know, you need to improve your punchiness because, you know, there's lots of little short little hills that you want to be really, really, really good at, whether you're, that's what you're training towards or some sort of race. And you look at your focus duration being 10 minute power. Well, you know, you really haven't done any really hard efforts yet. Right. And so you may go, okay, let me do some harder efforts. 
and you do those harder efforts, you do them under strain. And as you do them more and more, you'll start to see that focus duration go from 10 minute power all the way to, you know, five minute power or, you know, uh, three and two minute power. So, um, so that's really how you manage your focus duration over the course of a, of a kind of unstructured training uh, workout that you might be doing, right? So if you're rather than doing a, a structured workout, you may just go out and ride and just monitor your focus duration. That's how you would do it. And just recognize though, that if you're doing the efforts with really hard sprints and then easy riding, that's gonna give you a, a really, uh, a polar specificity rating. And in, in the end, a lot of that work will be mostly low intensity. You know, polarity in specificity rating, if you're polar, it really means you did most of the work with low intensity. Alternatively, if you really want to be pure, then you're gonna go out and you're gonna hit those intervals at the focus power. That's it. It's gonna be, you're gonna just try and drive home that power and that's gonna increase the focus, uh, oh, sorry, the specificity rating during that workout. So that's kind of how you manage and manipulate both the focus as well as specificity rating during your kind of ad hoc unstructured rise. You can manage and, and create the, the focus and specificity that you need uh, just by understanding how these kinds of things are, are, are working. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's something that I had noted in the, that short video that we had put together is, is that um, uh, the sensitivity or how quickly that focus changes is also going to depend on where you are in the ride. Um, because re remember, we're, when we're looking at focus duration, we're looking at the total uh, the total distribution between that high, that, that peak, and that low XSS. And so if you're a minute into a ride and you suddenly hammering it up a hill, you're going to notice that that focus duration is going to drop like a rock really quickly because you're adding so much high and peak strain relative to a, a small amount of, of low strain. Versus if you were to go out and accumulate 100 XSS of low strain and then go up that hill, you're going to notice focus duration is going to change uh, much, much slower, uh, just because you've accumulated so much low strain already that adding just a, a sliver of high and peak won't really change that focus duration. And so that's something else. Um, it, it is really abstract to, to kind of think about it, but, uh, but that is uh, one of the other factors that, that goes into determining that focus duration. Yeah, you know, and, I, and it, this is really, it is unique. It's very different than what people are used to when it comes to looking at zones. Um, but we feel that in the end, it's, it's a much more simplified model, right? Once you get past all of the complexity of how this thing is working, in the end, it's a much more simplified model because you can look at your target event and look at the focus associated with the target event and it makes perfect sense. You'll say, hey, this is a crit and it's two minute power then that's what I need to focus on. Um, and then you can, you know, do your training around that. And then you don't really need to think about what, what zones your intervals are in necessarily. You just want to know how they all add up and are they going to add up to helping you improve at that particular intensity. And then when you add in kind of specificity, you can be even more 
precise in terms of the type of training and, and racing that you're, that you're going to be doing? And taking it to a broader level when you have... Uh, Steven, you, you, you had cut out for a second there. Uh, yeah. Can you restart that thought? Yeah. So taking it to a broader level now with the adaptive training advisor is if you set your goal target uh, and also your date and you say you want to be a, um, a breakaway specialist, five-minute power, that's your athlete type that you want to be what the adaptive training advisor will do over the course of the training program is gradually bring you there so that as you get to peak there'll be more and more workouts that are really geared towards towards that breakaway specialist so early on there'll be a lot of a lot of uh you know wider distribution in terms of the variety of workouts that you'll be recommended but as you get to the peak phase of the training program with the adaptive training advisor you'll become recommended more and more breakaway specialist workouts so it that's that's the power of the exert system also in guiding you towards towards uh, workouts that are geared towards your desired athlete focus that leads me very nicely to another one of the questions that we get a lot of times when people are setting up the system there, how do I pick an athlete type? And, and so the athlete types are kind of modeled after the focus durations. And uh, I'll just use an example. Some people train maybe for, for a, a roughly a 20 minute time trial. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that you should pick the 20 minute focus duration because the, the, the time trial is 20 minutes. And so this is a, this is a key distinction and, and something that's really important to note is remember that focus duration is an intensity, not a, not a duration. We just use a duration to normalize um, somebody's uh, focus power to mine. And so we can combine it across people. But if you're really training for, let's say that, that 20 minute time trial, what you can actually do is if you've uploaded uh, uh, one of those activities in the past already and it's in the system, what I suspect, depending on how variable you rode the time trial, but I suspect you're probably going to be closer to a GC specialist or a climber focus duration instead. And so uh, for newer users that, that are setting up the system or for people that are starting to think about their events for next year already and picking an athlete type is uh, you, you may want to just check a focus duration from a past activity. And, and so if you go to the, to the activity details page, uh, actually on the top right-hand corner, you'll find the focus duration, and then directly beneath that, you'll find the specificity. And so you know, hey, if I did this cross race last year, and it ended up with a, whatever, a four-minute focus, then, then that's the, the athlete type that I should go for this year if I want to improve my ability to, to compete in that event again. And so... Uh, it, this focus duration can actually be really useful for you when you when you are first setting up your account or when you're when you're getting set for that next uh, for that next target event. Yeah, just like for example, I know obviously in the spring with the majority of the gravel races, that my focus duration for those events are typically around the eight minute range. So that's where I would really target my training and peak for, and then. And then in a traditional year, come to cyclocross fall, then it's um, in the fall, then it is much more closer to that five uh, minute power duration and focus. 
Yeah. All right. Yeah, you know, and I think that's kind of what really what what's the key aspect that we wanted to really cover today was the was that um, you know the the focus duration is a, a really key part of exert, and it really brings together many aspects of how athletes perform and how they train relative to their unique differences. So that's really the, the and, and to create a, a way in which it can be easy to understand and to train towards. So although the concept is somewhat abstract, as you add all these layers in together, it really in the end greatly simplifies what you're trying to achieve and what you need to do to improve. So, so that we think is, is a unique aspect of what focus duration is providing. Yeah, exactly. It's taking that, that three-dimensional fitness and really condensing it down into, into one number. So we're not having you look through distributions of time and zones. We're, we're doing all the math second by second for you and right. just give you that focus duration. So it, it, it can be confusing, but I, I think as you start to understand more about the system and really start to grasp the, the meaning of focus duration, I think you'll find that it actually does greatly simplify kind of the amount of analysis really that you need to do. Right. Yeah, and and even, even just to uh, get at it from a day-to-day -day level, if you want to follow a polarized training kind of overall setup uh, for example i know when i when i ride and i know i want to do just a very easy endurance pace i know there's a focus duration of you know roughly about 20 minutes or so or higher that i'm targeting i definitely don't want it under 15 minutes and whereas in workouts like i did yesterday um you know i know i need to be in a focus duration of around four to five minutes. So I can also kind of look at it afterwards and either see in real time in my Garmin, am I hitting my focus duration targets rather than trying to think, am I hitting my power targets or anything like that too? So it really simplifies training in real time that way also. And, and as Scott had on the, on the video that's on our website about focus duration, you can also just apply it to your general riding, even if it's not a, not a specific Garmin workout. Well, all right. I, I, um, I, I think Scott somehow disappeared. Scott, where did you go? Well, um, I guess the timing was good because we were just about to wrap up our podcast. So I'll wrap it up for us. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Stephen, for another great podcast. And um, yeah, um, we'll, uh, we'll, have to, we'll have to sort out these technical glitches so we don't lose Scott next time. And, uh, but looking forward to doing the next one with you. Maybe he fell down the same well that he fell down in uh, episode one or very oh, first great. podcast, but I think he's back now, but we were just wrapping up Scott and um, yeah, I guess I will say uh, goodbye and thank you to Scott. Thank you to Armando for yeah. on behalf of all of us. And uh, also Armando best wishes for happy uh, rapid recovery and let us know what the updates will be in the, uh, the K model as a result. All right. We'll do. Hey, Scott, awesome. welcome back. We're so, just, we're just wrapping you. up. Yeah, thanks for both of your time today. I appreciate it. Hopefully the users find this really useful. 
um, and, and beneficial. So uh, I, I think we're also going to be start. Uh, we're also going to start looking for some more questions uh, for our next Q and A podcast. Uh, so if you do have any questions that you would like to uh, to get to us or have us take a look at, uh, we would appreciate uh, you sending those in so we can start taking a look at them. All right. That's everything on my end. So thanks everybody for tuning in and we'll see you next time. All right. Thanks everybody. See you everyone.